Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I thought I saw something. I lose you guys get what? Something. What's going on? What are you guys looking at? Abaddon ice. That's what we call it. Everybody feels like they saw something out of the corner of their eyes or just felt like they were being watched. It happens to all of us. Just our imagination's messing with us. Abaddon ice. You coming? How's it going? Good. How are, How are you? Very good. That's Very great. Good. Nice, to meet nice to meet you. I'm Mike. This is Casey. Hello. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Here. <laughs> there the is side. another there person. There we are. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like How's the, it going? It's kind of like the clowns. You turn around and there he is. I'm just sitting there. <laughs> so, Joe, How are you guys doing? We're, we're doing okay. Doing well. Um, number one, thank you for coming on and yeah, doing this. We really appreciate it. Um, we we started this thing by talking to Stephen, and um, I think we kind of um, fooled him into letting us do this thing. And so that's, that's great. <laughs> um, yeah. But he, he, we talked a little bit and basically this whole thing is about the lore and the world building that's going on in the movies. So we don't want to add to, we don't want to take away. So this is mostly about the characters, about what we think is happening, what we think might happen. Um, so th that's, that's basically it. Um, gotcha. we, we want to talk about, we'll, we'll talk about you, but then we also want to talk about the importance of the clowns, the, the, where we think the story is headed. I know you can't tell us a whole lot. My, Mike's going to try real I'm hard. I'm going to try real hard to tell yeah. you about my, that fifth movie. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah. How many uh, people have you got on this so far? I think, I think you are number six, I believe. Okay. Yeah. We've talked to two from the fourth movie. Two from we talked to uh, Tully. Tully, Margo. Uh, he was fantastic, Molly. by the way. He, he he would stay in character the entire time if you if you asked him Brian, to. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Of course he would. He's he's really great. Um, anyway, yeah, we've we've talked to several folks, and uh, again, I can't thank you enough for coming on and doing this. Yeah, I really course. appreciate it. Some weirdo on Instagram hits you up, and then you show up for a Zoom call. So it's great. Well, well we we are we're a big proponent of people who I mean these movies don't get seen unless people are talking about them. So yeah. we're we're happy to be a part of any of these things that that kind of support the lore and get more people to watch it. That's so excellent. Thank you. That's and, excellent. And when we talk to the actors, I just and I told Mike, I said you don't you never think about it, but they really enjoy talking about their craft and how they got to that character, how they created that character. Right. Margo, uh, the Margo character, oh, she was very excited she just to speak excited. about that because she had put a lot of time in it. It was just amazing, yeah. you know? Yeah. It was crazy because this last movie, not to say that we haven't had this before with previous casts, but, you know, the way Steve, Steve and I have been doing this now for close to 10 years, I think right. I think Steve and I met one another in 2013. So we've been working with each other for a decade now. And I think, you know, when, when you first make a movie, and especially being a found footage movie, you kind of have this thing when you're a first-time filmmaker and you're putting some stuff together and you're bringing a cast together, you kind of get that impression on set where people are like, yeah, this isn't really going to go anywhere. Like, this is fun. Yeah, I mean, who's going to sure. see this? Sure. And we're also talking about a time before, like, this is kind of the early days of streaming. Oh, yeah. So... When we got people together, our first cast, they were incredible. And I think they're a big part of why the first movie is so successful. Mm -hmm. But 
they were all people that were around the same age as Steve and I, and they were both, you know, doing things in their career, having their hands in multiple projects and, and so sure. on and so forth. And then as, you know, it built, I think when we shot the second one, we still didn't really have a following. Mm -hmm. It was towards the end of the second one was when our following started building, but it wasn't until this most recent one where one, we definitely worked with the youngest cast yeah. in this most recent movie. So, you know, th those girls, those two girls, they're kind of in their early twenties. Yeah. So that excitement and that it was really palpable on set and, and that, it, that whole, like, you know, it was the first time I think Steve and I had been on set where someone was like, thank you for choosing us. Oh, that's it awesome. Was like, it, yeah. it, was, it was that like, hey, thank you for letting us be a part of this versus someone being like, okay, what do you want me to do for this bullshit? Yeah, short yeah, period? yeah, yeah, sure. Like, it, felt, it, felt, it felt much more organic. And I think those girls put a lot into it. Even um, uh, our, uh, our character who played Chase, I can't even remember his name, mm -hmm. but um, James. So James also put a lot into his character as yeah. well. But um, but yeah, those girls went crazy. I'm sure you guys saw netsleuths.com. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what, what I was going to say. Yeah. I mean, anytime you get you, you have people that will go out and do that on their own. Holy crud. Right. You've really got something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and you got a marketing, a marketing machine that you don't have to spend. Any that's it. Else. Right. Yeah, it's absolutely. <laughs> um, so l let's talk about you just for a second, Joe. Is it OK? I just call you Joe. Yeah. yeah that's OK. Uh, so um, <laughs> Secret Service. Tell me about that. <laughs> well, they can. So, uh, <laughs> it's a secret. Yeah, so, sure. yeah. So I always say the, um, it was, so I, I always had a following of wanting to like serve a bigger purpose and, 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 you know, put my life on the line. And, and I've always felt some form of loyalty to our country and, and whatnot. Hence all the cats. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, see it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I think back then, um, I was really committed to to kind of get working for the federal government and doing things that a lot of people didn't want to do. Yeah. Um, basically, I went through two years of testing and processes and all that kind of stuff. And the way the easiest way to describe it is is what happened to basically what happened to Paul Dano's character in uh, Little Miss Sunshine. Is what mm -hmm. happened to there you go. There you go. So, so, um, so yeah. So colorblindness uh, wasn't really a thing that they wanted. So. Um, you know, it was it was a good and a bad thing. It was a, a yeah. bad thing because that might have been the first time in my life that I ever felt a small sign of depression. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was a good thing because um, up until that point in my life, I'd let other people dictate things to me like you can't do this because no one we know is successful in that or you can't do that. And and that kind of set the whole bar for me of being like, I'm not going to not do something just because people say I, I may not be successful in it. I'm going to do whatever I want because I've already been told I can't do the thing that I want to do yeah. because of something I have no control over. So um, that so makes total that makes total sense, yeah. though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, by the way, this is Caitlin. Caitlin, stick your face in. Hi, Caitlin. Hi. Yeah. So, <laughs> Caitlin uh, is half of uh, another podcast we have on the network here called Boobays, and Boobays is a horror movie uh, review show. So, two two huh? best friends they they review horror movies. She's been doing it for what year and a half now, yeah. if not longer. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And they, they had actually reviewed Hell House LLC, the first one, at one point. And uh, when we started talking to folks involved in the other movies, then they went back and they did two, three, and four. And so, nice. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah we, we're all big fans. Uh, so this is... I would, assume, I would assume one did better than two and three. That's the usual. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we gave, we gave one. We had to go back and retroactively kind of add some points right. to one once we watched two and three and like really got a feel for the whole world that there was we like added we gave it five boos so which is the highest rating you can get <laughs> five boos. That's awesome. well, yeah. and, and, and that's yeah. the thing you know you say that about two and three but it's something you have to you have to view all together yeah. that's what I, right. I told mike i said when when carmichael manor came out I could not believe the amount of people online that were saying, why are they going back and talking about the clowns again? I said, that's like talking about Star Wars and wondering why the Jedis are in there. Right. It's, part, it's part of the lore. It's, I, mean, yeah. I mean, the clowns are an area of interest because even though we have a trilogy prior to this most recent one coming out, 
we don't really ever talk about the clowns. The yeah. clowns there, there. it's creepy, but there's no history to that yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. <gasps> oh, kitty. there's a black cat. Oh, no. Hello, kitty. The, 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 interview, the interview is doomed. Well, no. the cat walks by again. It's a glitch in the microphone. That's right. It's a glitch. <laughs> so uh, uh, tell me about Aww. this. Just one more question about you, and then I want to get into the Hell House stuff. Uh, so Dumb and Dumber, huh? You watched uh, Dumb and Dumber, mm-hmm. and that's what made you want to make movies? So this is going to be a long answer, so I apologize. No, no, you're good. So I kind of have had milestones throughout my life that have actually put me into the position that I'm in right now. So the first milestone was the first cartoon that I can remember, like that gave me any form of, ooh, horror would be interesting, uh, was The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Disney's The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Gotcha. Saw that when I was a kid. Yeah. Loved it. Um, Funny enough, it actually... uh, my life is going in that direction because uh, I'm looking at property in Sleepy Hollow, New York. Oh, wow. So, oh, look at that's you. so um, cool. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, so that was the first thing. The second thing was um, when I was, you know, I, I like most probably kids, I'm not going to stereotype and say boys, but it probably was more boys. Reading was a thing that was like, you had to do it in school, but you never really wanted to do it. Sure. And uh, when I was in middle school, I had uh, an instructor that made us read Agatha Christie's and then there were none. Mm-hmm. And that I didn't want to read it. I think I read the Spark Notes version of it <laughs> or the Cliff Notes version of it. Sure. And I got to the ending and I figured out who the killer was. And then I went into class and we started talking about it. And I was like, wait, this is this is actually much more interesting than, <laughs> the, you know, three pages that I read. Yeah. And uh and then as I started getting into it, I was like intertwined into the world of murder mystery. Mm. And then like three days into it, I was like, I just ruined the whole thing for me because I know who the killer is. Yeah. And I was so upset, but that that really changed my mind and put me onto murder mysteries and all that kind of stuff. Third, when I was a kid, my mom dated a sergeant in the army who was an asshole to my brother and I, mm. not in front of my mom, but whenever she wasn't around mm. and he forced us to watch nightmare on Elm street. when we, I was maybe five, Ooh. my brother was seven, oh, young geez. and we were terrified. But when I was 10, I went back and I said, my mom was very big on, um, she, as we got older, she didn't want us to leave the house. She didn't want us to go out. She was getting nervous about her kids leaving. And sure. Blah, 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 leaving sure. Us. So she told us, if you stay home, I, I think I got this more than my older brother did, but she said, if you stay home, I'll rent you anything you want to watch from Blockbuster. So I was, I, I said, okay, this could be interesting. So I basically said, there's got to be a reason why so many people are so scared of Freddy Krueger and mm. so afraid of these characters. So I basically started watching every single movie in every single franchise. And basically at t- between the ages of 10 and 12, like went through Halloween, went through Friday the 13th, went through Nightmare on Elm Street, went through Child's Play, went through all of these franchises, and I was hooked. But I'm a huge comedy guy. Like you guys maybe don't know this for me, but a lot of the stuff that I do in a lot of my professional work, aside from Hell House, has been more in the horror comedy world than it has been in the specific horror world. So it wasn't until Dumb and Dumber that I think a lot of people see that movie and go, wow, this is really stupid, or this is funny because it's really stupid. Yeah. I saw that movie and I said, oh shit, like they, the, the writers here, they're really smart. Like they're making jokes that are really intelligent, but they're actually making them seem dumb for these other people. And it's one of those movies, like as like many comedies, it's one of those movies that every single time you watch it, you'll be like, I didn't realize they were saying yeah. that. I didn't yeah. realize they were referencing this. Yeah. And so Combine that with the com- the storytelling aspect of a murder mystery, right. and I was like, oh, I want that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want that's and and I've wanted to do that since I was 10, 12 years old. But like I said, I I grew up in a family of doctor of doctors, lawyers, teachers, and most of them were always like, well, you know, you're not going to be Brad Pitt, so there's really no <laughs> point doing this. What a, ter- like, what a terrible um, thing to tell hey, a kid. Yeah, thanks, it's, it's awful. I, I don't know if that was them telling me I'm up. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, that's rough. Um, So I I get it. I I understand exactly what you're saying about the the, number one. I'm old enough to Casey and I both were old enough to have watched the most of those franchises in a theater, right? And so um, it it was a huge part of my life. Like I still have a uh, Friday the Thirteenth part three and 3D poster on my wall at the house that I bought (laughs) at the theater, right? So that's 
that was 114 years ago. And so um, I, I love horror movies and I love schlocky horror movies also. So the, the weirder Jason gets, the better. You know, I'm I'm, right. I'm on board. Now, when you pull Freddy Krueger through the door at the end, or or, or you know, the the mother gets pulled through the door at the end, I, I'm out okay. at that point. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, yeah, I'm a little out there. <laughs> but uh, right. and then and then as far as Dumb and Dumber goes, it it one of my favorite movies of all time is is Office Space, and it's and it's kind of the same kind of thing. You know, you don't you don't get it all anytime you watch it. You know, there's there's right. something you're missing every single time. And so yeah. I completely understand what you're saying with that. Um, comedy well, comedy and horror are pretty closely related. Yeah, yeah. They can be. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I have to say with the way he says he was treated as a child <laughs> and his fascination <laughs> with uh, murder mysteries, we may be needing to turn this tape over to Dateline NBC sure. at some point. <laughs> um, if, you, if you look behind you, there's a camera. Yeah. Uh, the, the, funny, the funny joke in my family is that my brother for a long period of his life never wanted to watch horror movies and was terrified about mm. them. I actually think, I actually think me being interested in them and writing them and directing and producing them. I think that's what kind of brought him around yeah. to watching them again. But uh, it's funny to see how two children very young have almost the exact same mm -hmm. experience and go in completely different directions. Yeah. Sure. Sure. So tell me about, um, tell me how it was ratcheted up each time you made one of these movies. Okay. So hell house, the first one, 2015, um, what puts you there to make this movie? Number one, you know what I, you, you could make anything, right. But this is the thing you made. So right. why is that? And then how was it again? Like I say, how was it ratcheted up each time? Like either budget or story or how does it build on it? Right. So I think what, um, when you, when you start making movies and you start working in the world of film and, and, and entertainment and all that kind of stuff, one of the first things, one of the first pieces of advice that I always tell people, because this is what people told me is say yes to everything. Mm -hmm. Like you have to say yes to everything. And so when I first got done with film school in 2008, uh, I started, or 2009, I started saying yes to everything. Yeah. I was working as an AC, as a gaffer, as a grip. Um, I was, I didn't love sound, but I tried, I was just doing anything. Anytime someone said they needed help on something, I would be a part of it. Yeah. And then after about two years of that, I started getting to a point where I would be on set with people and they would be like, I'd be a, a grip, let's say, or, or, a, or an AC and I'd be on set and I'd be talking with the producers and I'd be like, Oh, I have this script or whatever. And I started noticing that people aren't looking at me the same way. Mm. Like they, they wouldn't take me as serious. Like, Oh, this guy who works in the grip department wrote a script. It's like, and so I kind of made a conscious effort around 2012, 2013, that I'm not going to be hired as any type of technical role. I'm not going to like, I'm mm. only going to accept jobs as a writer or director or producer. Yeah. And I, I was like, okay, well, what's the first, no one's going to be like, here, go write something. Sure. You don't get those offers right away. You have to prove yourself. Yeah. So I started a sketch comedy group and then I joined another sketch comedy group and we were just churning out content and doing all of these things together. And my, one of my mentors at the time was like, you need to direct a feature. Like that's what you have to do. You need to get a feature under your belt. So I saved up as much money as I could. And with my writing partner at the time, we were in the process of developing a feature that was called seclusion. It's, it's known as cabin fear, but that's, yeah, so there's, there's a story behind that. But anyway, we were going to go make that movie. And while that was happening, I had been connected with Adam Schneider, who plays Mac yeah. in, the, in the franchise. And uh, him and I had been friends for a little bit. We'd worked together and he reached out to me and he was like, hey, um, do you know anyone who would produce a horror movie? Yeah. And I, I think I've said this numerous times, but I said, yeah, me, you dick. I would <laughs> and, so, and so I my, my whole feeling on it is, is like, I think like this is where Steve and I differ. Steve is a writer director. Mm -hmm. Steve likes to write his own content and direct his own content. Steve's not very much interested in someone else writing something for him to direct. And he's not interested in producing. Gotcha. I consider myself more of like a filmmaker. I want to be a part of really good stories. Now I have good stories to tell. I feel like I've written good stories. I have, but I also know that there's other stories out there and there's other things out there. So for me, if someone has a good story or if someone brings something to me and I like it, as long as I'm in one of those three roles, I have no problem being in a different role. I don't always have to write it. I don't always have to direct it. I don't always yeah. have to produce it. And so this for me was an opportunity of, 
let me see if I can work with someone else who is a writer director and, mm-hmm. and see if I can help them bring what their idea is to fruition. And so even though I work in a creative field, I still have a very structured brain. And I think when I met Steve, what I realized right away is Steve has a little bit more of a creative brain. And when you have someone, not to say that when you when you have both, it's hard because at times you're trying to be creative, but then the structure comes in and goes, this is the budget, this is this, how you have to do that. Yeah, so it sure. restricts you at times. So what really worked out well for Steve and I was Steve was able to be creative and I was able to be like, that won't work. This will work, that won't work. And we were able to kind of work that way. So when we made the first movie, my mindset was, this is two features that I get to make in this year. Mm-hmm. So I get to get two, I get to go from doing zero features and now I'm going to produce a feature and I'm going to write and direct a feature. So it was yeah. like, this is a great opportunity for, for me at the very least I'm going to have two films that I have a ton of experience on at the end of this year. Yeah, sure. So so the big thing with the first one that was different than all the other ones is the first one, Steve already wrote the script yeah. and already had the location, um, the Waldorf um, that Angie Moyer owns. Right. He already had that as the place that he was going to do things. So when he brought me in, it was, I gave him budget changes. I helped him with budget. I helped him with crew. I helped him. I gave him story notes and everything. And the best part of what I always say with Steve is I'm a very opinionated person. And uh, I think it's historically known that I'm the logic police on the Hell House sets. So the the thing that um, that I think worked really well was Steve didn't have an issue with me telling him when I thought something didn't make sense or was dumb or was yeah. stupid. And yeah. I could be I could be myself and I could be direct and blunt. Um, and maybe he did take some things personally, but he never really showed it. So we were able to like i didn't have to shield myself from giving him my honest opinion and i also thought it was really interesting because i had never really been a found footage horror fan mm-hmm. i i saw blair witch in theaters it made me want to throw up i, I just wasn't <laughs> into it and i and i guess i was too young to really appreciate the dot com and the and what they did with the internet and the marketing on there like sure. i very much appreciate it now sure but um Paranormal Activity, I thought was amazing. Mm-hmm. I was blown away by Paranormal Activity. But there was hundreds of other found footage films and none of them were really successful. And so I wasn't fully like, yeah, this could be cool. But I was like, this is a good way that we can do what you want to mm-hmm. do, Steve, for the budget. Because I think his original pass, his original version of Hell House was a narrative film. Okay. And he realized very quickly, I can't, there's no way I'm going to be able to afford this. Yeah, I can't and, imagine. And yeah. yeah, I can't imagine what the budget would be on something like that if you were actually making a full feature. You know, that, that absolutely that is the one thing. And I guess that's why there are so many of the found footage movies, because it is a cheap and easy way to get into filmmaking and then hopefully develop it over the years. A hundred percent. And it also is very forgiving for someone who's a first time filmmaker to make sure, mistakes. Sure. Because if you're doing that in a narrative uh, setting and you make mistakes, mm-hmm. um it's, it's kind of obvious. Well, the found footage thing almost welcomes mistakes at that right. point, you know, because it just becomes part of the story. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. so why are you always in the clown suit? What, uh, what, <laughs> what, what bet, what bet did you lose? So, so I'm not only am I not always in the clown suit, but up until the fourth film, I'm always a camera operator in every single one of the movies. And oh. I die in every one of the movies. Yeah. Um, so L- Louis, that- Louis, Malcolm and Jonathan. Right. Jonathan, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in the first one, um, in the first one, I didn't play the clown. In the first one, the clown is in there so fr- infrequently. I think the clown's mm-hmm. in three scenes. In yeah. It. Yeah. Um, the or the clown that moves is in three scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, when we first made that first film, this was like gorilla. Let's do whatever we possibly can. All hands on deck. Let's make this movie. Yeah. So. When we did the, which was my favorite sequence in the movie, that malfunction, everyone leaving the house, police and all that kind of stuff, come come to, like, Steve was the YouTuber. So he's filming, and he's filming because he knows what he wants. That's why he's the YouTuber. Sure. Mm. I'm in the house, throughout the house, hidden in black, with different, like, walkies all over me, queuing different people and running through, and at different times, queuing this audience, queuing, queuing that group, queuing the cops, queuing the ambulances, so we put ourselves in a position so that we can do our best work together while also not having it be something where we need 75 people or multiple millions of dollars for this. And I think what happened was when we got to all the stuff with Diane, uh, it was very obvious that Diane had two people with her. So we were like, okay, how are we going to, who's the two people with her? We never really cast for those. 
And I was brought on as the producer and Matt DiPaolo was, was our casting um, associate. And he's also really good friends with Steve. So both of us stepped into the Malcolm, um, to the, yeah, was it Malcolm and Jonathan roles? The Malcolm? No, no, no. It was um, Mitchell. 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 And Mitchell. Yeah. So we were the voices and everything. And then Steve said to me, he wanted me because I'm a filmmaker to be the person in the final sequence operating the camera. Okay. Because in the first movie, um, our DP, Brian, was great, but Steve didn't want to do a lot of stuff where the DP was operating camera. He wanted the actors to do it. And I think you yeah. see that organically play out a little bit better. Yeah. So Steve was like, there's so many technical moments when we walk through that house in the end with Diane that he wanted to hit one corner because there's someone in the, mm -hmm. like in the shadows. We walk by and you see Alex somewhere. We walk by, like there were different things that he needed to be hit. Right. And he wouldn't really trust an actor who'd never used a camera before to be able to make sure you frame this, make sure you hit that. So that was the reason why I stepped into the Jonathan role. And then the clown in the first one, Alex who plays, uh, or Danny who plays Alex and Jared who plays Tony, they both wore the costume because it was like, you're not in this scene. We need someone to wear the costume yeah. with this costume. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when we get onto the sequels though, the second one, the clown became a bigger component mm -hmm. of it. And Steve was like, how should we do the clown? And I just love, like, I think, I think I like hiding behind masks. <laughs> so, it, so I was like, yeah, I'll just do that. So again, Malcolm was chosen because of the way the camera works for us. So that's why I was that character. And then the clown was just a lot of fun for me. And I was like, I love doing this. And again, low budget. Yeah. If it seems like, oh, my producer's going to do this, that means I don't have to pay one other person to do this. So sure. I was like, great. And then the third movie, again, Louie was my character, putting for specific shots and things with the main character. And in The Clown, I split between me and a production assistant because I couldn't always wear the clown costume, especially when I was shooting. Yeah. But so when we got to the fourth movie, Steve said to me, he's like, hey, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to kill you in this one. And I was like, yeah, I was like, no, it's it's, it's upsetting to me, but I think, I think our audience will be okay with it. And, uh, and while we were working everything through, I think he was, he started casting and was looking for people to fit the build of the clown. Yeah. And he said, who do you like from, you know, these three or four people? And he's like, I'm not really too sure. And I don't really want to spend the money on this. And I said, why are you spending the money at all? And he goes, well, don't you hate wearing the clown costume over and over again? And I was like, nope. Yeah. I love wearing the clown yeah. costume. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, oh, okay. Then you just be the clown. And that's, that's well, why I stayed the clown. Well, I would guess that goes back to your love of those franchises also, right? I mean, you get to be Jason. You get to be Freddy. 100%. And, yeah. and listen, I, I know it's a mask thing, so you don't really get the... It's not like it's my face sure. and people are afraid sure. of my face. They're afraid of the clown mask. But I also know, you know, I'm a horror fan. After we made the first movie, I dove into found footage. I directed a documentary about paranormal activity. I saw that, yeah. I, I, I've done so much stuff in found footage since Hell House that I feel like there's moments and little things here and there that I've seen or, or, I, or I can contribute to. So there's, and that's always the benefit of working with Steve is we'll be doing something and he'll be working on something and I'll, and I'll be like, Ooh, this would be cool if we did this in the background. So I'll mm -hmm. just do it. Mm -hmm. And he'll be like, that's great. Let's do that. So it gives, it, it's given me a lot of flexibility, not only as the producer who's making sure that this whole thing is coming together, but also to be like, hey, I can add some creepy moments in for you here and there without you even like saying, we need to make this better or why is this not working? Like he has another, the, the thing that I've always thought about it is the reason why Steve and I work so well together is because he has another director helping him along as opposed to a producer who doesn't have any creative yeah. input whatsoever. Well, it makes total sense that you guys are kind of polar opposites. And so you're playing one side of the brain, he's playing the other. You know, right. So, uh, are you going to be the uh, the clown in the fifth one? I should be, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll say this: I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. But I will say, if uh, if Steve's on board, I'm on board. So, uh, Stephen did tell us that uh, because you know the first thing we went into is is if you make a fifth one, which I'm assuming he will. Um, he said that he has a feature that he's making, and then he would maybe return to to Hell House. Uh, but uh, we we are very big proponents that that it's just Tully's story at this point, you know, because I mean that's the that's the well that seems to keep giving, right? Right. I mean the clowns, Tully, those two guys, whoever they are, you know, the the fair, 
all of that stuff. That that seems to be the thing. And um, I, I got to tell you, four for me, it, it ended up being my favorite, just simply because you know he mentioned Star Wars earlier, and I've mentioned this in a couple other interviews we've done. If you never leave Hoth, you you don't have a story. You know, I mean, you right. can't make all the sequels. And so, being able to move this stuff around just totally makes sense to me, and it opens up huge worlds for you guys to tell other stories. Well, listen, so we, I'm sure you guys have heard about the Abaddon tapes and all of that stuff. And that yeah. was always the direction we wanted to go in because the Abaddon tapes would be basically, they'd be combo found footage and narrative, mm -hmm. which would be able to give us an opportunity to elevate, but it'd also be bigger budget so we can put a lot more into these episodes. Sure. But basically what each episode was supposed to be was a different piece of a story. So you'd learn more about the clown's history, mm -hmm. you'd learn more about Tully, you'd learn more about these different things. But the reason why Steve and I have not chosen to go down a path of doing Tully's story or doing those types of things and keep it more in the modern present day is 100% a budget. Oh, a budgetary. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if we did Tully's story, we would have to do 70s things. We would have yeah. to do 80s things. Yeah. We would have to go. And, and again, they're not period pieces expensive-wise like doing the 1600s. Mm -hmm. But again, for the budgets that we're doing these things on, yeah. like we were already called out a couple times on um, different things about hey, this is the 80s, that person wouldn't wear something like that or something, you know, and so on, even in like the 15 seconds that you see something. Yeah. So for us to actually be somewhat accurate and be able to tell a good story without distracting from like mishaps or things that we have that are incorrect, I think the goal of what we probably want to do is to get a bigger budget and have like a healthier budget so that we could go back. But yeah. I have a feeling should a fifth come about, we're probably going to do something in the vein of what we've always wanted to do, which centers around the fair. Oh, the yeah. only thing is, is I think it's going to be more about the fair present day and the one that they're bringing back that they reference at the end yep. of Origins, as opposed to the fair that took place in the 90s. Well, that makes total sense mm -hmm. because, I mean, you you see the clown at the end. I mean, the fair's coming back, all of that stuff. I mean, that just, that makes total sense to me. Um, although, uh, if you don't tell that Tully story at some point, I'm, I'm taken to Reddit and just, just flaming <laughs> you all over the place. Uh, okay. Well, so take to every studio and tell them to get us one. <laughs> yeah, you, you got it. I'll get on that tomorrow. Uh, okay. So I, I've talked a lot. I'm going to leave it up to, uh, up to them to ask a couple of questions. Sure. Well, I think we were, you know, in, in being so interested in that, in that story is um, it's kind of that whole, Mike and I've talked about it. It's that whole idea of, and even when you were talking about, you know, the Secret Service stuff not working out. Every one of these characters, you know, meets with, you know, basically meets their fate because the devil, as we mm -hmm. have said before, mm -hmm. is just so opportunistic. Mm -hmm. They right. see they see somebody who is, you know, what they wanted, they didn't get it. Mm -hmm. But there's somebody who can answer that. And we were very intrigued when we talked um, to both the actor that played Tully and then also to um, Patrick. Gideon, when we talked to the person that played Patrick, yeah. is, you know, both of them were really horrific accidents where they lost a loved one. You know, we're kind of making a judgment on Tully. Something happened to his daughter. We don't know what. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and obviously, in talking with 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 Brad and, and Tully, uh, you know, he was, you know, I was a great man of faith, and I must have prayed hours for something to happen, and it didn't. And then all of a sudden, he's presented with someone who can make that change. And we were very intrigued with this idea of when Tully would see his daughter or when Patrick would see his sister, this idea of were they seeing the demon that we were seeing on screen or was like Patrick seeing his daughter, his, his, uh, his sister and Patrick uh, Gideon had a real good answer. He goes, I, I saw both. I would see the demon and I would see my sister. And he goes, yeah. that's just the price I was willing to pay. And I think, I think a lot, Mike and I talk about it, it's just, there's so much in that choice, that human choice mm -hmm. and that human frailty of wanting to take, if anybody, you know, if the devil's going to say yes, a lot of people are going to take that choice. And that's what makes these characters. Yeah. And they all have, uh, there's all one dedicated to the cause, whether it's Alec or Jessica um, or Margot, who is going to take, however many friends they have straight to hell with them. That's right. Yeah. And that's well, what makes you, it. 
I was going to say, when you think about good versus evil and you think about right and wrong and all of that kind of stuff, any movie you've ever seen, including Star Wars, the, the things that make, like with the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe and all these things that have come up, the best movies are the ones where the characters have the best villains in them. Mm-hmm. So like Loki is such an amazing character because what Loki believes is that he is right, mm-hmm. that what he's doing is altruistic. Like that's the reason why these, so if you have these characters that are just trying to do evil for evil's sake, yeah. you'll lose an audience mm-hmm. at some point. Like these these characters and, and these actors who are making these choices along with Steve giving them direction, they have to be, they have to believe that what they're doing is right. They have to believe what they're doing is is the is the direction of you know. And even if it is someone as Tully, like we obviously haven't touched on this yet, mm-hmm. so you know we we might. But whether he's doing it for the sake of he lost his daughter and he's getting revenge on everyone for it, or he lost his daughter and what he was doing was incorrect, and this is the correct way, and this is and this new world that he's serving is actually the way to make things happen. Whichever way we decide to go with that kind of stuff, he, the character, Brian, whoever's playing him or a younger version, has to believe that what they're doing is good. Mm-hmm. Has, or not good, but correct. And yeah. that's, they have yeah. to have that belief that this is the right thing to do versus, no, I know I'm doing the bad thing and I'm just going to continue to do the bad thing because yeah. I want to be the bad guy. You know what I mean? Well, that's a, that's a one-dimensional character at that point, right? And you, you got to exactly. have them make those human choices. Uh, exactly. If you want people to buy into it. Well, and then you, yeah. you go into even more character exploration. Just when does somebody who's doing the right thing for the right reason, is there ever an opportunity where they have to do the bad thing to create a cult, mm. to get right. that amount of people to help serve something beyond the wall? Yeah. You right. know, it, yeah. it, it, to me, that's what makes these characters, and, and it's, it's told in a lot of stories, but it's just this particular series, that that's what makes me so interested in it. Because I guess it's just the framing of the lore and the characters yeah. and, and what's coming next. Yeah. I, I, I got to tell you, for, um, for the amount of money I'm assuming these movies are made with and the, the caliber of actors you are able to get, they are done super well mm-hmm. by the way um that is one of the things that that is really impressive about this series and i'm assuming the fifth movie but uh that's one of the things that's very impressive about this series is that you know as an audience on the outside here we don't know any of these people you know we've we've right. never seen them in things but then they they come in and they're just so committed and then we've been told over and over, these are like 14, 15 day shooting schedules. And so. Oh no, they, they're like 10 day shooting schedules. Holy <laughs> crap. So it's just, it, it, yeah. it's amazing how, how much they put into this. And I'm assuming they end up being grips. They end up being, you know, prop people, all of the stuff, because if you don't do all hands on deck, I don't know how you do this in 10 to 15 days. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've, consistently kept our crew to around 10 people. Wow. So usually every film that we've done is around 10 people. And again, this, you know, this goes to the, you know, we've in, in one of the films, we brought on a cinematographer who was phenomenal, yeah. but was a little bit more hands-on in terms of the lighting and all these other things. And ultimately that wasn't one of our best reviewed films. And it's like, you know, there's certain things that, that, like you mentioned earlier is like the mistakes actually work better. Yeah. And, and so I think where we've gotten to with all four of these films is the actors have to be good. That's first yeah. and foremost. Sure. And the, you know, the one thing that I always find interesting is the breadcrumbs, the breadcrumbs of all of these things. Cause Steve throws a lot of breadcrumbs into mm-hmm. things. And I sometimes get him to pull some of those things back because I know that based on re, you know, we read the same things that you guys read or write, right. you know, we right. were seeing all this stuff out there. The benefit is, is I think, we could actually see that stuff and be like, hmm, maybe we'll go in this direction based on what our audience likes. Or we could say, we're not doing that at all. We're going in a completely different direction. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, one of the things with the breadcrumbs is it opens up all these other possibilities. And I can see at times I'm like, oh, okay, this might open up so many doors that we're never going to be able to answer it. So like, again, talking about me being the logic police, one of the things that I usually do try to give Steve some advice on, give him some notes on is like, the more breadcrumbs you put in, I think he's done a really good job with it. But the more he he adds in, the more questions we have to answer. And at yeah. some point, 
we're not going to be able to answer every single one of those questions. Mm -hmm. And I am in no way comparing us to this show because when the show came out, it was phenomenal and it broke every single record. But you're looking at a potential opportunity of having a lost type ending where no one is going to be satisfied mm -hmm. and everyone's going to be pissed off yeah. because half of the things that you wanted answered were never answered. Yeah. So you, you, I, I think we've done a good job of laying all this stuff out there. In my mind, the, what, what we're trying to do with these Origins movies is answer a lot of these questions while also continuing to move along in the timeline yeah. and bring about some pretty cool scares for people. Steven, Steven brought up Lost also, so I, I can tell that that is a consistent theme that you guys are kind of trying to play to. Um, I, and, and it's a good one. It's a, it's, it's a great theme to follow if, if you got to follow one. Yeah. <laughs> but again, also, you, you know, just so you know, like a lot of time, most of the times these things are planned, but sometimes mm -hmm. they're not. Sometimes you put things in the movie and you don't realize that your audience is going to register with them so well. Yeah. And then it's like, well, wow, the audience has really cared about this. Maybe we lean on this for the next movie. And I actually think, you know, I, I was joking earlier, and I think Steve would say the same thing earlier. One in four are probably like one, in, in my opinion, in terms of the reviews and the way people have watched these movies, it's probably one, four, three, two. That's yeah. probably the order yeah. Yeah. of what we see in terms of fans and, and viewership. Sure. Um, but... I think the mishaps along the way of things that didn't work out well in two, but worked out better in one or work, didn't work out well in three and worked out better in four or something like that. A lot of that has to do with pulling on threads that we think are going to work and they actually don't wind up working. So us being like, okay, let's get back to the original. Let's get back to the basics. And I think that's what, what Steve tried to do with origins was let's get back to a movie that is really, really heavily invested into creepy scares. Mm -hmm. um, and let's bring about a newer audience. Let's bring about a female audience. Let's, let's mm -hmm. bring in something that was a little different than the first, but kind of follows similar themes. And then, you know, then you have to trust your crew and trust your actors and, and hope that the edit gets you there. And I, and I think we, we were very fortunate to have another group, every one of these movies, we've had phenomenal crew. We've had mm -hmm. a phenomenal cast. And um, I can honestly say, and this is no disrespect to one, two, and three, the fourth set was the best set I've ever been on in my entire life because every single person wanted to be there yeah. and every single person was invested in making sure the story or the production was doing better. Um, because I think in general, you know, it's a hard industry. So sometimes people take jobs for money. Yeah. Sometimes they take them because they need a paycheck or something like that. And yeah. not to say that there were people on, you know, the other films that did that, but it was a different feeling on this one. And it felt like we kind of knew in the middle of shooting, like this one's going to be good. Like yeah. there's, there's, this is going to get a good reaction from our audience. One of, one of yeah. the, the creepiest things in, in all of the movies for me is uh, the girl hiding behind the doorway, you know, with the mask on. That is, that is my, um, that's my nightmare is to walk down my hall and see somebody like just peeking out like that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I got to tell you, I am 54 years old and I'm still, I still double check the dark, you know? So, I mean, it's, it's, ever since, ever since I've seen urban legend, I check. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> just, you know, don't, don't drive behind pipes. Don't do any of that. Yeah. 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 So Caitlin, you, you have anything for me? Oh, uh, well, just going back to budget and this is not a question. It's a uh, more of just me putting myself out there. Um, but if y'all ever need help with <laughs> clothing people to look. Where are you guys based? We're in Waco, Waco, Texas. So not not anywhere near, but I do have a vintage clothing company and I would be more than happy to outfit people for uh, for free. Hey, so. never, never let an opportunity pass you by. Right? Yeah, I mean, so I was well, like, our, our, our costume production and costume designer is Sophie Snyder. Uh, uh, she is phenomenal, yeah. and she like creates the costumes and all this kind of stuff. But wow. I feel like I should put you in touch with her because yeah. she is, she would be the person to talk to on this stuff. Because again, you know, with these smaller crews, a lot of times it's, hey, here's your budget, figure this out. And she does has done a lot with a little, yeah. and and I think you, you we we actually had hadn't had Sophie on the first three movies, but we had her on this movie. Um, she was on board, and then our set designer is my wife Devin. So oh. we had something that we hadn't had in the past, and yeah. and also that kind of upped a little bit of the production value without having to go crazy over the top with budget. And sure. uh, 
And I'm not sure if Steve mentioned, but we have another movie coming out. Um, it's Steve's first narrative film. Yeah. Uh, it's called 825 Forest Road. Mm-hmm. And Sophie was our production and costume designer on that one. And she blew that one out of the water. That's so. really awesome. Cool. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. So let's let's get into, uh, if you've got a couple more minutes, let, let's ask sure. a, a couple of kind of lore questions. And I know yeah. Casey is... is no, before you forget, the ones we haven't got to ask <laughs> that you've always meant to ask okay. was about the trailer. Yeah. And the hearse. Okay. So this, this bugs me. Um, <laughs> so when they go into the woods. And, in four, in four. In four. And we get to the trailer with the police tape and there's just a hearse sitting there. And then the, it seems like I, I, the only thing I can compare it to is like a boat garage at the end with, with mm-hmm. one of the very tall Jawas standing there, you know, just being all creepy. So right. do you have any information on the trailer or the hearse that you could pass along to us? Well, I don't I don't know if I'm uh, if I'm ruining something here and maybe Steve wouldn't want me to say this, but well, don't, 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 get, don't get in trouble. No, That's no, 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 no. Go, ahead. Go, ahead. Get in trouble. go ahead. Get in trouble. <laughs> I will say this. Sometimes when you're on set and you see something that, you know, is just going to be creepy, you just shoot it because it's going to be creepy okay. and let people and let people wander. And there it is. Yeah. What oh, those things are. That's did perfect. you see a lot of what they were talking about? A lot of people were saying, "Oh, that car was the one that that uh, win win win." That was his car crash car. You know, he it's was amazing. In, he, he was involved. He, he killed the girl. You know, he, that's that's the stuff. You, think, that's the stuff you couldn't even write. It, you know, I mean, they just the come thing up with that it for I'm you. Fascinated by is I try to stay off the Reddit things and, and whatnot because I <laughs> when you when you have some form of success you're going to have people who are very complimentary and, and sure. very nice. And you're also going to have the opposite. Yeah. And so it's, it's easy to get caught up in those things and think all the great things, but then see all the yeah. not so great things as well. Yeah. But it is very interesting to like read things and see where people are taking these things. Cause sometimes it's like, wow, you're actually a hundred percent accurate. That's why we did that. Or that's where we're going. And then we read other things and we're like, I have no idea where you're pulling this from. But it's great about this stuff because we're not even thinking about it. Well, I I think we told Steven in the first interview, you know, one of the goals of this show is to just get Reddit to yell at us. You know, I mean, that's that's really where where we want to head. Well, Joe, uh, what's next for you? What, What else you got? So the first thing I think coming up, which Steve, or Steve and I are very excited about, is um, A25 Forest Road. Yeah. That we finally completed that film. We're in the process of, of looking for distribution on mm. it. So I have a funny feeling that's going to be sometime in the winter that yeah. will hopefully come out, if not in the spring. Mm-hmm. Um, there's obviously, Steve and I are talking about two things. One is the next Hell House, should that come to fruition? And then another film, which he probably mentioned to you guys that he wanted to do that we're working on. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all the stuff I'm doing with Steve. And then I am working on two other projects. Uh, one that I'm in the process of rewriting that I'm hoping to go into production on uh, as a writer-director on next year, um, which is kind of a slasher. Um I live in the slasher world a little bit more than I live in the supernatural world. Sure, sure. Um, So that one is, uh, that one hopefully I'll be shooting next year to come out in 2025. Mm. And then I also, I know I mentioned this, but I had a very, uh, you know, the good thing about doing two films in one year was we kind of, basically whatever we did with Hell House, I kind of did the opposite with the other one in terms of like education and learning. So we went with a very small sales agent in Terror Films for Hell House. They wound up being phenomenal and we should have done that with the other film that I did. But we went with a much bigger one and kind of fell through the cracks on a lot of stuff. But that film that I shot... It was originally called Seclusion. It got renamed Cabin Fear. And then uh, this is like an anthology of the posters Mm -hmm. along the way Mm because it just kept changing. Um, But I, being young and naive, I... When I sold when I sold it and had my deal, I didn't realize that I kind of gave away final cuts, so they made changes in it. Mm-hmm. And basically, the movie was meant to be a movie that makes fun of archetypes, and it wound up being a movie that just served those archetypes. Sure. And sure. you know, again, it was a narrative film. It was every mistake I made, you saw. <laughs> and so basically, I just got the rights back to it. Oh. So I, I just got it pulled from everywhere, and I'm actually for the first time ever recutting it the way I always intended for it to be cut. Oh, wow. So that's probably going to be released in the next few months as well. And, and you know, I'm not trying to take something that I made a decade ago and be like, this is the most amazing thing, but it at least will have the humor in it that I've yeah. always intended. Yeah. So 
so that will be the next thing I think that comes out around the time that 825 Forest comes out. Yeah, just don't remake Cabin Fever twice, you know, that uh, <laughs> if you could keep from doing that, that'd be great. Um, I'm, I'm not, not, not a huge fan. Uh, so uh, number one, thank you again for, for lending us some of your time. Uh, we really do appreciate it. Do we have any last like lore or world building question? I have a question just for my own curiosity. Cause I noticed yeah. this and I just want an answer. If you can give us one. Um, <laughs> Why do you have cats? Well, do you, in the hallway when they were, uh, and this is in four, mm. when they were mm -hmm. doing the home movies and they jump out and they scare the other sister mm -hmm. and, um, it's Margaret, right? Margaret goes, uh, what Patrick thought it would be really scary if I'd come out of your closet. Right. And then at the end of the movie, she it's goes awesome. in the closet and she's sitting there. It, was that a happy accident or was that just planned? I think that was intended. Yeah. Got, <laughs> that was Because gotcha. yeah. gotcha. we, we, talk, we talked to, to Patrick Gideon uh, mm -hmm. about that. And it, it, it to me, it seemed like maybe that was the last vestige of Patrick being there to say, okay, I'm going to play one last joke on you. Mm -hmm. That's right. what I thought. But, you know, but that was interesting. Is Patrick dead? Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just double checking. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just try. Um, I don't know. You know the, the one thing that is interesting that I'm not going to answer is the characters in this franchise, there are characters who have died yeah. and come back. Yeah. There are characters who may not be dead, and then there's the live characters. So... Um, that might be one of the questions we never wound up answering, Sure, but I'm going to keep that TBD for the time being and keep yeah. you guys guessing. That's great. That's great. No, it's, we, and here's the thing, <clears throat> this, this show, it literally is about guessing, right? And so it's, it's, we're going to get as much information as we possibly can out of everybody involved. And then we're going to come up with theories, you know, again, oh, we, we don't want to add to, but, uh, we want to analyze and really scrutinize and not just be a movie review show. You know, we, yeah. we want to, yeah, well, that's, that's for you. You can do that later. But it's, we, we, we want to, to, to like play along as your audience, you know, and, right. and vocalize those questions and not sit behind a, a, a monitor to do it. Yeah. You know, I, th I think that's really smart. And, and let me say, uh, thank you all for having oh, me on. I, I think, you know, one of the things that I, I mentioned earlier is, we don't have Hell House one, two, three, or four without people like you watching these movies and talking about these movies. This is definitely a movie that is a word of mouth movie. Yeah. And we are so grateful for our fans. We're so grateful for you guys for what you do. And I do think, you know, Steve and I have done, I can't even tell you how many podcasts, but you guys are trying to do something that's a little bit different. And I think you have to do that nowadays to set yeah. yourself apart from all the other things, well, not to say reviews are bad, no, but, uh, but you, you definitely, I think, I think you guys are, are, are going about it the right way. And I think, um, if you know, you guys seem to have a decent audience already. So I, uh, I encourage you to keep doing your thing because obviously it's working. And, I, uh, I, I really, really appreciate that. It's, 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 we were trying to do something that you guys would kind of be proud of, you know, and, and we watched enough interviews and watched Steven tell us that the exorcist was his favorite movie about 14 times. So that's not a question yeah. I'm going to ask. You know, yeah. you know, it's funny. Steven, Steven, I always get into this disagreements because he, his favorite movie is the exorcist. Yeah. Uh, he also thinks it's the scariest. Uh, my favorite is nightmare on Elm street. I think Halloween, the original mm -hmm. uh, is the best horror movie ever made for its budget. Mm -hmm. um, but I will say this, I was, we were chatting the other day. I have a very um, hard time. Like if, if I get introduced in a movie to a form and a style of what that movie is, mm -hmm. and then that movie breaks that rule and knocks me out of it. That's where like the pulling, yep. you know, the mom through the door. Mm -hmm. yep. That's where I have, have issues. I think Steve is a little bit more forgiving on those things because yeah. he understands that like in order for you to be in this movie, you have to also like you're watching a supernatural movie. You kind of have to understand that like they're doing things that are demonic and no one really knows what that is. So, sure. Sure. Um, but the one thing I nailed, I finally figured it out. There was something that never really sat right with me with, with The Exorcist. Like, I have always thought it was a good movie. I rewatched it a year ago just to make sure I didn't miss things. Yeah. I always thought it was a good movie. I always thought it was a scary movie. I always thought it should be up there on one of the best horror movies ever told. Right. There's always something that I was like, 
I, it's not scary to me. Mm-mm. And I've always said I'm not a religious person, so it's, I understand that it would probably be scarier for religious people than sure. people who are non-believers. But the thing that hit, hit it on the head, and it happened because I saw The Exorcist Believer. Uh, I saw it with a couple of friends, and we when the, did you guys see The Exorcist Believer? Not, no, yeah, I, I saw it. Yeah. I saw okay, it, well, but I'm I fell asleep. She, sound, she sounds so disappointed. Yeah. Oh, well. I'm not going to ruin it for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. There's a character in the movie who gets his neck snapped. Oh, yeah. And I was he, awake for that part. Head, <laughs> right. And when his head turns around to face behind him, yeah. he's dead, and he falls to the ground. And the thing that has never made sense to me is if a demon takes the rules of the exorcist is this is real. Like mm. this is a hundred. We're not living in a fabricated, like this is real. Like this is shit that's yeah. happening. Like Rosemary's baby. This is really yeah. happening. Yeah. When, when Regan turns her head all the way around and doesn't die, like the physical mm. form of her doesn't die. That's where I'm just like, I don't believe that. Yeah. anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah it, it becomes almost a cartoon. At that point. Right. And, I, and I think right. that's I think that's why the spider walk, you know, was taken out originally because it was right. just a little too much, you know. Yeah, um, exactly. So so I, I want to ask you, I'm sorry, one more question, if you're if you're cool with that. Yeah, go for it. Um, so I, I saw a movie recently. There's there's two movies that that have affected me in the same way, one of which is Blair Witch, because I saw it in the theater and the theater I saw it in. They turned the lights on immediately as the thing ends. It just scared the living shit out of me, right? And yeah. even as a grown man, next day I'm taking a shower with my eyes open kind of thing, right? <laughs> so the second one, and I don't know why, and Casey's going to react to this, but I don't know why this one affected me this way, but have you seen Skinamarink? I have. That is the weirdest, most uh, original uh, it could be. it could be terrible to people, it could be wonderful to people. To me, um, again, sitting in my well-lit living room, I had to pause it a couple of times because I don't know what's going to happen. You know, it didn't play by the rules. And so right. nothing came from under the bed. You know, <laughs> I don't know what the hell that was talking to him at the end. I mean, it just, uh, it made, I don't know. I, do you both feel the same way about Skin Marie? I told Mike, I think that there are some movies that are just too cerebral for me. I just, I told him, I said, I can't believe you made me watch that. <laughs> so, so listen, I don't want to ever, like, art is art. It's it is, it like, is. Some people love it, some people don't. I, I, you know, I just know, I saw that movie in theaters, uh-huh. and at the end of the movie, I think every person in the audience had a collective why did we just sit here for the last sure. hour and 30 minutes watching this? Like, sure. I, I listen, I, I get it. I get it. It's new. It's different. <laughs> it's, it's experimental. Kind of, yes. I yes. get all of that. I get uh, all of that. But I, I just remember something that I learned in film school. And I remember um, <laughs> everyone was trying to do art house films. Everyone was trying to be unique yeah. and experimental yeah. and all this other kind of stuff. And I remember being like, why are you trying to do all these new and inventive things when you've not even proven that you could tell an A to B story of yeah. like this is where the character starts, this is where the character ends. Yeah. And to me, I just felt like when I watched it, I was like, I mean, I could literally turn on my TV <laughs> and stare at a wall. Well, that's what you that's what you did. You stared at a wall in a corner and the floor and yeah. 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 So I I, I did not have the same feeling you had. Sure. But, um, sure. Well, I'm not. I, I, I listen. I'm not saying it was. A, I'm not saying it was a good feeling. I'm just saying right. it was. It was a he different was, feeling. Was, it hit me different than other movies. He was know? disturbed. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It, was, it did yeah. something to him. To me, I was, was like, disturbing. I just, I just, yeah. like I said, I couldn't get in into it. Maybe it was just not. You know, I hadn't eaten all day or something. You know, it's, it's probably something like low blood sugar. Probably is all the LSD. Yeah. Maybe yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, Joe, you have to start saying your diet is what caused you to feel. Sexual, <laughs> right? like, maybe that's more. That's well again. That's the three of you. What are the three of your favorite horror movies? Well, I'm going to tell you the one and when you were talking about horror comedy, and I don't know if you see this film this way, but my probably just because it matches that perfectly, it wasn't made for that. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two. Mm. I see that as a dark romantic comedy mm-hmm. between Leatherface <laughs> and the girl. Yeah. 
He was yeah. all into. It. He was trying to get that girl the whole time. Yeah, and he never did. Yeah. Poor Leatherface. Yeah. That was in, in the the final scene. You know, the little uh, the the whatever the mountain thing is that they shot in. Uh, that is about ten minutes from here. Yeah, it's just down the road yeah. from us. When we were when we were teenagers, I mean, that thing was still up and going. Uh, I can imagine. I can imagine Texas Chainsaw Massacre being a big part of something that that influenced you guys in a oh. scary way. Oh, based on where you look. Yeah, yeah, the first one is just yeah, it's horrific. Every, the other one is every like time I, said, I suck on my finger, I think about. Yeah, it was I was going to say like like Cabin in the Woods movies. Do they have a different feeling for you since you're not really from an area like that, or or you those get you too? Uh, so so my my favorite, and it's not. You can't really call it a horror movie, but Evil Dead Two is my all-time favorite, um, <laughs> and that that is it. it, it I've got uh, ash on my leg and the the whole thing, right? I mean, it's it, and I think I think the thing about horror, also the thing about comedy, is a time in your life when you see it matters, you know, right. because that one hit me at the absolute right time, and then Ash could do no wrong. You know, right. because Army of Darkness, it's not a great movie, but I love it. It's not even a horror movie, really. It's right? not. No, it's a goofy action thing. It's 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 uh, right. Jason and the Argonauts is what it is, you know. Yeah. And so, um, but I love it because of what it is and what it gave me. It it paid off a lot of the stuff that I learned in Evil Dead 2, you know. Right. And, and I think of Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 as the same movie, just with better budgets, you know. Better budgets and they're more self-aware of what, Absolutely. what's going on. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But I also love the fact that I waited 30 something years and then got to see the Pontiac show up in Dr. Strange. So, I mean, that's, right. that's a true payoff <laughs> for me. And I love that kind of stuff. Anytime somebody pays off later, that's, that's my right. favorite. Yeah. I think for me, uh, speaking of like seeing something at the right time, mm -hmm. Because I don't really... Skin a Yes. No. I don't really know why it kind of is my favorite horror film, but the one that kind of started it all for me and made me really start appreciating horror uh, was Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Mm. So that was the one that just kind of made me be like, hmm, I really love this. I frankly am a big fan of the of the remake. Yeah, the uh, remake, the 2003, remake was, was brilliant. With, yeah. yeah. That was also really it's, good. It's basically movie sampling is what it is. You know? right. It's, it's right. <laughs> so Pretty much, yeah. I, th I think Mike Mike did his uh, doctoral thesis on Human Centipede. I did, yeah, yeah, He yeah, loves yeah, that one, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've never seen it. Uh, well, Joe, again, thank you so much for joining us. We really yes. appreciate it. And we hope that if we get down the line on this thing and have some un unanswered questions, we can contact you again. Yeah, absolutely. I, or at least I, the cats. I, <laughs> completely i mean they're, they're open i mean sure. they're on their way out so. sure. no um yeah i like my my door is open like if you guys ever want to chat let me know i i Thank you. i think we both try to make it a point to be accessible to people as opposed to hiding behind things so yeah i mean if you guys ever need anything i'd love to hear all the stuff once you guys you got get it things and yes. like let me know but yeah what i mean for anything and in the future if, if we do things hell house related non-hell house related and you guys want to chat about any of that stuff even on your review show that would be wonderful so i'll tell you i'll tell you a, a little thing that casey and i've talked about if you do make five we're gonna we're gonna hit you up pretty hard to wear a boobase t-shirt on one of the characters at some point or a body in the in, in the in the on the floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah we a body. Happy to be a body. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 If you need an old you, guy you that's been killed. Know, yeah. You guys do know that the number one question that we get asked on all these podcasts are can we be a dead body? Or <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. No, I don't want, laundry, we have a laundry list of people that want to get killed. I don't, I don't want to be a dead body. I'll just drive you someplace or something, you know, right. so it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, Joe, thanks again, man. We really appreciate yeah, of course. it. And, and good luck with yeah. everything, especially the recut. That's, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, that Thank is. You. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much, guys. I really appreciate it. And good luck to you with everything too. All if right. there's anything I can do to help you guys, let me know. Thank you so much. Thank have a good so evening. Have a good evening. All right. You too. Bye-bye. See ya. Okay, so I thought Tully was my favorite interview, but I'm this say, was my favorite. This was this was just sitting around shooting the crap. It was. Yeah. It was with a guy who makes movies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was very fun. Hmm. I liked his cats. They were cats. <laughs> <laughs> no, I no, think it, this it, I haven't been on all of them, right. but this was probably one of the most 
engaging. Well, look how open. I mean, yeah. just that's what it struck us this entire time. We've talked to these folks, and they are just so open to talking to us and yeah. just being available. And and that's not just the writers and directors and producers. It's the actors. It's anybody that was involved. It's fantastic. Well, you get something totally different from him and yes. Stephen. You yes. get the reason why the movies are what the the movies are made the way they yeah. are with the actors. Yeah. You get why the characters are created the way they are. Right. And they're two totally different pieces of the puzzle, but they're both, both these, all these interviews have been great. I feel like if I had, had stuck with Joe for a little bit longer, I could have got the script from five out of him. <laughs> I, think he would, I think he would have told me. <laughs> no, uh, Joe, we, it, that was, that was really fantastic. And, and uh, I look forward to anything he does. And, and it's not often that you see a horror guy uh, quote, dumb and dumber. And so yeah. I, I really enjoyed that as well. Yeah. I think that's well-rounded. So, all right. Um, I don't know who's next. Um, but Whoever says yes first. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to start hitting them up and uh, we'll see who we can get. Uh, but this is this has been a fucking blast so far. Yeah. I have a question and yeah. I don't know if this is too soon. Is there any way people can contact us? Uh, so they can. Uh, I would say let's use the Boobay's uh, contact to begin with. Yeah. Um, and tell us, tell us what that is, Caitlin. All right. You can reach out to us on our one social media platform, which is Instagram. And that is at Boobays Podcast. And that's B-O-O-B-A-E-S because we're your boobays, not, not your boobabes. babes. <laughs> and um, yeah, that's how you can reach out to us. Yeah. And then let us know any thoughts you have for the oh, yeah. Abaddon Eyes crew. And we can send all that information along. Yeah. I, uh, also, if, if you if you need something uh, or you want to contact somebody else or whatever, you can always contact RogueMediaNetwork.com because that's where we sit. So um, for Casey and for Caitlin and for the missing Josh, which uh, I hope he's not in a ditch, um, yeah. I say thank you guys for listening and we'll be back with another one. You can find Abaddon Eyes Exploring the Hell House LLC Universe anywhere you get your podcasts or at roguemedianetwork.com. I found the gateway, and it's glorious. Play us a song. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.